I bet it's cold in Chicago. Famous magazine author Irma Brombach had just sat down at the airport and she had opened her book and was ready to just lose herself for the next 30 minutes in the book that she was reading because after a whirlwind trip all across the country in different airports and different bookstores and all kinds of places, all she wanted was a few moments to herself. But as soon as she plopped down in the seat waiting for the last plane that she would ride for a while to take her home to Chicago, she heard the old lady say, I bet it's cold in Chicago. And Brumbach kept her eyes on the book but said, probably, and continued reading, hoping that the conversation would end there. She just wanted a moment by herself. But the lady continued. She said, my son lives there, but I haven't been in several years. I don't drive, you know. And Brumbach just said she kept looking at the book, hoping it would go away. And then the lady said, my husband's on this plane. Well, his body will be. And she said, we've been married 53 years this week, and he died. She said, the nun at the hospital had to drive me to the funeral home because I don't drive. And she said, and then the funeral director drove me here to the airport to follow the body so we can take it home to Chicago so that it, it can be buried there by my son, and I, I guess I'll live there with him. And Irma Brombach said at that moment, she felt like the most detestable person on earth, and she closed her book and spent the next 30 minutes listening to this lady who obviously needed nothing more than just someone to listen. And so as, as, the, as the flight attendant called, called the rows and they, and they all boarded eventually, Brombach said she sat in her seat and she saw the lady board just a few rows behind her and she heard the lady say to her seatmate, I bet it's cold in Chicago. And at that moment she said, I prayed a small prayer that that passenger would learn to listen just like I did. And I, I, I heard that story several times recently, and, it, and every time I hear it, it, it moves my heart just a little bit. And not because I know Irma Brombach or her work, not because I, I, I don't know the lady, I, I don't know much about that, but it moves me because, this is a, a terrible confession for a pastor to make, but it moves me because sometimes I know how she felt. Because there are like, my job is a lot of being with people and being around people. And there are so many times when I am just surrounded by people and I think all I want to do is just get away for just a moment and just be quiet and just be still. And inevitably when that moment's about to come, I hear someone say something like, I bet it's cold in Chicago. And I'm pulled at my heart because I think this could be a moment where I have to be listening. And this could be a moment where, where I, I have to put myself aside because this could be so important. And then inevitably it ends up that it's probably not that important because there's a group of people in this world that I call stranger talkers. And I have to admit, you're not on my, high on my list of favorite people in the world <laughs> because I'm like in line at the bank just trying to do banking things, which is usually like ask them where all my money went and stuff like that. Um, but, but I'm like in line at the bank or in line at the grocery store, and I just want to take care of business and go to the next thing. But the stranger talker, you know who they are. Don't point because there might be a few in this room right now. The stranger talker is the one who walks up in line, and you can see them from a mile away because they walk up in line and they just go, boy, Thursday was cloudy. And they're just hoping somebody answers, right? Because they'll talk to anybody about anything, anytime, anywhere. And I, I, don't, I love people. I, I love being around people. But there are times where I'm like, this is not the time to talk. 
right? Maybe you're with me. Maybe I'm just the only jerk in the room. That's fine too. Like, this guy, he's not very nice. He doesn't like talking to him. It's not true. So, so you know how I'm, how I'm, what I'm talking about, right? You know about those people. And I want to tell those people, you stranger talkers, as much as sometimes I loathe you, you might be right. And it's probably time for me to be a little more friendly. I'm not going to be a stranger talker, let's be honest. I'll just be doing my thing. But there's something important about, about being around people, isn't there? There's something that matters when it comes to loving your neighbor. And we've been talking now, this is our second week in our series, Neighbors, and we said neighbor, the word neighbor has three different uses with it. The first use we talked about last week is neighbor as a noun. We said it's a person, a place, or a thing. That's a neighbor. And we asked the question, who is our neighbor? Because we said Jesus said the most important commandment is to love your neighbor, right? And so who is our neighbor? Who is it that we're called to love? Who is the person? And then next week, we're going to talk about our neighbor, neighbor as a verb, and we're going to talk about what it means to act as a neighbor. But today, we're going to talk about neighbor as an adjective. And an adjective is just kind of a describing word. And so it's almost in a way to be neighbor as an adjective is to, is to have earned the title of neighbor. It's, you're not a neighbor in this way just because you live near someone, but you are a neighbor because you've done something to earn that title. And it's such a difficult conversation. It's a difficult conversation because life is just strange in 2017. Life was strange in 16. It was strange in 15. It's been a while now that life has just been different than what anyone thinks it should be. And so when we talk about neighbors and we talk about this, it's kind of a strange, a strange concept. Right? Because we don't have neighbors because we pull in the house, we open the garage, we come in and we close it and we go to the backyard and the backyard has a six-foot privacy fence so nobody bothers us and we can have our alone time. But I've been reading this book that's really been challenging my thinking on, on what it means to be a neighbor and it's a book called The Art of Neighboring. And it's such a cool challenge to talk about what it really means to live in community with the people around you and how important it is to be a neighbor. And one of the interesting stories happens from a couple named Tom and Angela. And Tom and Angela uh, had lived in their neighborhood for 10 to 12 years, and they took the Art of Neighboring class. And if you were here last week, you remember that part of the class on, on the Art of Neighboring was you had to draw this grid, and you have to name all of the neighbors who live around you. And some of us could do it, some of us can't. Some of you are like, I only have one neighbor. Like, some of us, you know, everybody was different, but, but we went through it, and it kind of was a startling realization for us that we might not know our neighbors like we think we do. And so in the book, they talked about Tom and Angela realizing they had lived in the same neighborhood for 10 years and couldn't name their neighbors. They said, you know, we wave to them, we're smile, we're friendly. When we're both getting the mail at the same time, we say, hope there's no bills, you know, like whatever it is. Like, but we don't really know them. And so Tom and Angela made a drastic shift, and it sounds crazy, but they, says, they said it worked. And they took the swing set, and they took the porch swing, and they moved them from the back porch where the privacy fence was, and they moved them out to the front yard. And they said, all of a sudden, at first, all of the neighborhood dogs were coming around. Eventually, it was followed by the kids who belonged to those dogs. But then soon enough, even the parents started coming, and everyone started congregating in our front yard And we went from a neighborhood where everyone just smiled and waved to a neighborhood where people knew everybody because neighbors transition from the backyard privacy fence to the front porch swing. 
And they said all we had to do to be neighbors to the people who lived around us was transition from hiding out in the backyard to living our life in the front yard. And all of a sudden, we became the kind of neighborhood that everybody else wanted to be about. You see, being a neighbor isn't a complicated thing. Loving your neighbor isn't, isn't a great dive into to deep understanding of, of, of strong spiritual truths. Loving your neighbor is really just about becoming visible and available to the people around you. Loving your neighbor is really just about acknowledging the people who live near you and, and caring for their souls. Loving your neighbor is really just about the ability to say a little bit more than hello. There's a popular Christian art, uh, author named John Acuff who last year on Instagram posted a picture of his family at, on their way to their neighborhood block party. And I'll never forget because it kind of became a big deal. And, and somebody commented right under the picture, I wish I lived in the kind of neighborhood that threw a block party. Nobody in my neighborhood talks to each other. And immediately John Acuff replied back. He said, all you have to do is just be the one who plans it. And he said, our neighborhood didn't have a block party until my neighbor said we're having a block party. And see, that's sometimes all it takes to be a neighbor is to be the one who passes out the flyer that says, come to our house next week. Whitney and I have felt pretty convicted about how we are as neighbors, and we've lived in, in the neighborhood now for about two years almost, and we started thinking that, you know, we know the people who live around us, and we talked about those people last week, but we said there's a part of us that just doesn't know our neighbors that well. And so I came up with this idea, and I have to admit that Whitney, being the reasonable one of the, us two, didn't like it one bit, but I won out, and so that's why you're going to hear this story, because <laughs> it never happens that way. It's a joke, people. Just relax. It's okay. Um, so what we did was at Halloween, we decided rather than being the people who open the door, toss the candy in the bag, and close it again, we decided to do something a little different. And we moved our grill and our, and our deck furniture out to the front yard, and while people were coming through, we just grilled hot dogs and passed them out to the parents. I, I convinced Whitney that it was okay because we'd only give them to the parents. She's like, kids aren't supposed to eat open food. And you wouldn't believe how hard it was to convince parents that there weren't razor blades in the hot dogs. Like, don't believe what you've read online. These are okay hot dogs. I like you. <laughs> but the thing about it was, is how blown away people were. You see, I don't tell you that story to tell you that I'm like this great neighbor. I, I have three neighbors who I don't know their names still. But I tell you that story to tell you how easy it is to get the attention of your neighbors to let them know that you're there and available. And there's more that has to come, and there's more steps to be taken, but it just starts with being visible and available. You see, here's, here's the real thing, is I don't want you to think that this is a rant on private family time, and that you can never close the doors or never be inside alone with your family. I, I don't think that. But I do think that this is a warning to all of us about how we're building community with the people around us. And that warning is, is that real community is built face-to-face, -face, not screen-to-screen. -screen. And it's such a danger for all of us to think, I don't need to build community with my neighbors and with the people around me because I got my friends online. I don't, I don't need to be around those people because I can email anybody if I need anything. You know, I can, I can do whatever, I can do that through my phone. And it, the danger becomes that we're losing the real community and the real design for our neighbors that God had intended for us. 
I learned that lesson over these last couple of weeks. Uh, I had lunch with a friend a few weeks ago that I hadn't seen in a while. And uh, we were talking about life and all those things, and he confided in me this struggle that his family's been going through. And I had no idea that this was happening in their life. And I was blown away, and I was like, I can't believe it. We didn't do anything for you. We didn't talk about this. Like, like this, is, this is crazy. And so I got in the car after lunch, and I called Wit, and I said, Wit, you're not going to believe this, but so-and-so, such-and-such. And I told her the story, and she goes, yeah. And I was like, you knew this? <laughs> and she goes, yeah, I told you when it happened back in September. And I was like, you did? Are you sure? And Wendy, I'll never forget it. She, she goes, yeah. Because immediately after that, I said, I think you're on your phone too much. Maybe you should put it away. And we got in an argument, with the first argument we've ever gotten in our life. And we got in an argument about how you're on your phone too much. And I was like, that's what started that? And it was this crazy moment when I realized that my friends around me had been going through a struggle that I had no idea about because I was too busy building this community in a screen and I missed out on this opportunity. You see, when Jesus tells the lawyer in, in the verses we read last week that the second most important commandment is to love your neighbor, it's not a suggestion. It's not a when you feel like it. It was the most important thing you can do on earth was to build community with the people around you. And I'm telling you, because, because I live this life with you, that it's not always easy because after a long day at work, because after a tough day at school, because after everything else that happens, the last thing you feel like doing is going out to the front yard when it's nice outside and seeing if there's anybody who wants to have a chat. The last thing you want to do is share a meal with people when you'd rather just sit in your own quiet and stare at the TV and zone out. The last thing that you want to do is build community with anybody after you've been talking to people all day. But Jesus called us to a life of community. And what's crazy is how the people after Jesus modeled it so well. In the book of Acts, Jesus goes to heaven after he raises, rises, I'll get that word right, after he comes up from the grave, he spends 40 days on earth, and he goes to heaven, and after that comes the book of Acts, which is what happens in the next couple of months and years. Well, after that, after Jesus goes, then Peter has the opportunity to speak to a large crowd. We don't know how big the crowd is. What we do know is that the crowd was full of several thousand people who had traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate a festival. So a crowd full of foreigners, and Peter has the opportunity to stand up and talk to these people, and he, sa and he tells them about Jesus. After he tells them about Jesus, 3,000 of them are baptized, and then what? And then, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching in the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to everyone as it had any need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So 3,000 people are baptized in one day, and what's the next thing they do? Is they start spending time with the people around them. Some of them were already baptized, but others of them, you'll notice, are getting added into the group. The first thing they do after they start following Jesus is they start loving their 
neighbor. And, and I'm going to make this point. That they loved their neighbor even when their neighbor was a foreigner, even when their neighbor had no home, even when their neighbor had come there with no job and no real prospects and just kind of had ended up staying there, the people who followed Jesus loved their neighbor. And I say that to say this, that Jesus is in the business of changing hearts and not laws, and I'll say it anytime you ever want me to. But more than anything, he has called us to love our neighbor. And I confess that sometimes we've done a bad job as a church at helping you build that neighborhood. But there are times and there are people who have told us that, that we're lacking the community that Jesus has called us to, and I admit that that's happened. And I admit that there are times when there's something that needs to happen after this moment, and it doesn't quite happen for us because we've never quite gotten it off the ground. And, and you see that in our willingness to experiment. We have tried any different way that we're willing to try anything to get people to build community greater than themselves. Find ways to build people into loving their neighbor and loving their community together. And so over the last couple of months, we've been praying and thinking about what's next for us. What happens? How do we get people to take that next step of building community? And we started thinking literally about your neighbors. And we started thinking about who it is who lives around you. We started thinking about who it is who lives near you. And then we started to realize that our church, whether we know it or not, is a really neighborhood-based church. And what Zach and I did is Zach, Zach did a lot of work on this, and he helped to make this map right here. And this map is, is basically every person who considers themselves a part of our church, every person who, is, who attends regularly, who comes regularly, who has people who are involved, who serves. This is, this is kind of the map of, of our community as a church. And as you can see, it's, it's a heat map. There's not rain happening. Like some of you are like, oh, it's raining at home. Like that's not, it's not a radar. But it's a heat map. And as, as the color turns red, there's more people who live in that center. And some of you are like, I drive really far so I can see my house from here. <laughs> but, but the purpose of this was for us to kind of see what, na what neighborhoods does Highland live in? What neighborhoods do, do we take part in? And so we started to see, and you can see it if, if, you, if you're observant, that there's, there's a couple of easy line breaks that you can make. And so what we did is we, we turned our church into four different neighborhoods. We turned our church into the, the Fernleaf, Germantown, Highland Heights neighborhood. And then we, we went a little bit down the road, and right about where the bypass is, we said that's going to be the Maysville, Aberdeen neighborhood, because somebody had to be with those Ohio people <laughs> I'm just kidding. We love Ohio. We're big fans. The Maysville-Aberdeen neighborhood. And then we kind of split it up right at about 62, and we said this is going to be the Washington area neighborhood where, where Cedarwood is and, and Up Pleasant Ridge and all those. That's kind of the Washington area neighborhood. And then out a little further, we drew the line once more and said this is kind of the Mays Lake neighborhood. And so we kind of realized that a lot of our church lives in one of those four neighborhoods. And it's kind of weird because they're very distinct, you know, they're, they're near each other, but it's kind of distinct how the lines are drawn and people understand where they are. And so we started to realize that this is kind of the neighbors of our church. 
And this is kind of, kind of who we are. And so here's, here's our hope for what happens next for us, is that now you have to sit in that section all the time. You can't talk to people from any other neighborhood. You can't look at them. I'm just kidding. Next week, we are going to make you sit in your neighborhood section, though. So some of you, that's going to be a stretch. Because if your neighborhood's over here and your usual seat's over here, it's going to be difficult. Um, but, but what we're doing is our goal is for your neighborhood to become the first point of contact for you. And so if you have a, for instance, if you have a neighbor down your road who doesn't go to church, who doesn't know Jesus, and you think, you know what, that, that guy or that, or that lady, what they really need is someone to come and help them fix this or that. Then rather than, than trying to just do it on your own, we want you to say, I, I'm going to go to some of the people in my neighborhood, in my neighborhood group at my church, and I'm going to say, hey, will you guys stop by my house on your way home so we can go over and fix that for him? And what, what our goal is here is, is that your neighbor is most likely going to be able to be the one who comes to you and says, hey, I, is something going on? How can, how can we help? We're not trying to say that only people who live in Mays Lake can, can be in community with people who live in Mays Lake. What we're trying to do is we're trying to establish that the most important thing we do as a church is we love our neighbor. And through loving our neighbor, we love each other, and we love the people who aren't yet here. And so out of that group, our hope is that you develop some small groups who get together on a regular basis. Out of that group, our hope is that you develop some people who you can contact to help you and, and to be with you and, and to share with you when you need to. Out of that group, our hope is that you find ways to get involved, not just here in the building, but with needs in your community. But find ways for your neighborhood group to reach out to the people who aren't yet apart and say, you should see what Jesus has done for us. And I want to I be clear, like, we're not legalistic about this. If, if you live in Mays Lick and think everybody else who lives in Mays Lick smells funny, we'll, we'll help you find a different group. Or if you live in Aberdeen and think Kentucky people smell funny, then, you know, you don't have to wear shoes at our group or whatever. But, but I, I, we, want, we want this to be your first point of contact. And the first place where you get involved and say, this is kind of who I am in community with. And so here's kind of the plan from here. This is a free-flowing thing that we've been working on, and we're not, going to, we're not strict about it. We've identified a few people in each neighborhood who we think could help lead and launch this movement, and we've already been meeting with them and talking with them and sharing with them. And what we're going to do is next Sunday night during the Super Bowl at halftime, we're going to turn off the Super Bowl because who cares about Lady Gaga? No, seriously, like, don't raise your hand because <laughs> that would be embarrassing. Um, we're going to turn off the Super Bowl at halftime for a minute, and we're going to divide you up into your, into your neighborhoods. And we're going to have just a, a little community watch town hall neighborhood meeting here with your neighborhood in a different part of the building. And your neighborhood leader is going to talk about what are some things we can do? How does this look for us? How does this work for our neighborhood, for our community? Your neighborhood leaders are already getting started because they've picked out a date in their mind of when they're going to have their first neighborhood meal. And somewhere in your neighborhood, they're going to have a meal where you're all, everyone in your neighborhood group is just invited just to come and share and talk more about what our neighborhood needs and what our neighborhood's going to do. Your neighborhood leader already has in mind some things and some places and, and some stuff that's going to happen. Several of your neighborhoods have already been tabbed as neighborhoods that are probably going to grow to the point where they have to split up into two more neighborhoods in the next, in the next couple of months, if not a year. Um, and so, you know, so you can talk about what the future looks like for your group. This is something that we are so excited about because we have been talking for years now 
about the importance of loving your neighbor, and it's time for us to get you organized to a point when you can love your neighbor. And it's time for us to empower you to not have to do it alone. And I know immediately there's, there's two resistances to this because I, I, I've heard them already. The first is, I don't have time. And I, and I want to say that I, I affirm that you don't have time because I've seen your schedule and it's crazy. But here, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that whatever you make time for, your children will magnify. And so if you have busy kids at home and you always manage to make time for sports and for school, when your children are older, the most important things in their lives will be sports and school and clubs and projects. But if you magnify the importance of, of following Jesus, of loving your neighbor, of being in community with people who believe like you, your children will magnify that. And so my question is, when your, ch when your children grow up, do you want them to be involved in a community of people who love their neighbor, or is it more important to you that they were really pretty good at sports, or really pretty, had great grades? And we're not asking you for a seven-night-a-week commitment for four hours a week. We're not asking you to, to give up everything in order for this, because we firmly believe that you can love your neighbor at your child's basketball game, and you can love your neighbor at the uh, I don't, what, do, what do kids who get good grades do? I don't know. Um, whatever that is. You can love your neighbor in so many different ways, and this is just a part of it. And so we're not saying that you have to quit everything else. What we're saying is that we want to see you make time for these moments. The second resistance is the person who says, I, uh, I don't do the people thing. I'm, you know, like, Ben, you're nice and friendly, but I don't want to talk to anybody when I leave here. And I want to tell you that Jesus has called you to a life of loving your neighbor that wasn't an option. And again, we're not asking you to seven nights a week commit to having someone in your home. We're not asking you to move into a commune. We're just asking you to spend time with the people around you. We're asking you to find ways to love the soul of your neighbor. Because here's why. Because you hear stories about the story like the story of Adele Garbery. And Adele Garbery lived in a nice little quiet town with some pretty helpful neighbors. For years and years, they had mowed Adele's grass because she wasn't able to push the mower anymore. And then the neighbors started noticing that she needed some other help. And one of the neighbors was collecting the mail and, and would kind of just keep it in case it, for whenever Adele needed it. And one of the other neighbors, you know, noticed that her hedges needed trimmed. And the neighbors kept noticing that she needed more and more help. One neighbor even noticed that winter that her, uh, her pipes had frozen and burst, so he crawled under the house and turned off her pipes and figured she'd call the plumbing company or call the, the water company soon and get it fixed. And then the, the mail kept piling up. And the water never seemed to turn back on. And finally, somebody got a little bit curious. And they went and knocked on the door, and Adele didn't answer. So they called the police. And the police knocked on the door and Adele didn't answer and they, they, they broke the window and opened the door and they went inside to discover that Del Garbery had been dead for at least three years. And her neighbors had been mowing her grass and they had been collecting her mail and had been checking on her house, but they had never once bothered to love the soul of Adele to the point where they made sure she was okay. 
You see, when we talk about, about loving our neighbor as a verb and we talk about service, it's so important. But what's more important than any of that is loving the soul of our neighbor. And I'm telling you, that's not something you can do on your own. In the article I read about Adele Garbery, one of the neighbors said, you know, she was a kind lady, but she was so lonely that it got to the point when you ran when you saw her because you knew she was just going to talk. And the neighbor said, we'd been living here for a long time and we had talked to Adele a lot and we thought we'd pretty much run out. And I'd give anything to have one more chat with her now. But if that neighbor had gotten together with the other neighbors and said, let's find time where each of us can go and visit with Adele. If that neighbor had gotten together with her other neighbors and said, how can we find some ways for Adele to build that community again? Maybe this story ends differently. But my friends, I'm telling you, the most important thing you can do is to love the very soul of your neighbors. And I know that's a daunting task. And I know that so many of you are nervous about that idea. But Jesus came so that we would love even the very soul of our neighbors. Because Jesus came, the Bible tells us, we don't have to have a spirit of fear and timidity. We can have a spirit of power and courage. And we can know that because of everything Jesus did for us, we have the ability to go and love the soul, even of our most difficult, terrifying, different neighbor because of Jesus. And so what we're going to do together is we're going to stand here in just a moment and we're going to sing a song. And the song, the, the chorus of the song goes, basically it says, you have made me unafraid because of who you are. So will you stand and sing together that we won't be afraid to love our neighbor?